lust. And for all of you ladies that don't understand lust, I hope you enjoyed your Krispy Kreme hot glazed donut. <laughs> that was mean. Jim. That was so godly of me. Um, not only just this heterosexual lust, we're going to deal with homosexual lust as well. I'm never going to withhold a scripture or withhold anything because it makes me feel awkward or makes you feel awkward or something that I've bad on. I will still talk about divorce. I've been through a divorce. God hates divorce, but he loves the people. He just hates when things hurt. But I'll still talk about that even though I've been, so I'm never going to withhold a scripture from y'all. So today we are dealing with heterosexual and homosexual lust. The temptation of lust is mankind's oldest enemy. From the very beginning with Adam and Eve, the first wrong thought pattern Satan tried to destroy them with and did destroy them with was the thought pattern of lust. A few thousand years later, Satan tried to destroy Jesus with lust, but it didn't work. A few millennia after that, here you and I are and we are still battling the exact same negative thought pattern. Lust is a thought pattern that stalks every single person, no matter how long you've been in church, how godly you think you are, or how much scripture you know. It does not matter how much you love your spouse when it comes to lust. You cannot think, well, my spouse loves me so much, so he or she will never battle lust. That is not how it works at all. You can love your spouse a hundred percent and still battle lust. And if you think that you, if your wisdom is, well, if you love somebody, you won't battle lust, that, let me explain this to you. Do you love Jesus? Yes, I love Jesus with my whole heart. I love He's the Lord and Savior of my life. I love Jesus, yet you still battle wrong thought patterns. And lust is no different of a wrong thought pattern than fear or discouragement or anything else that we battle. If you're here today and you think that you are too strong to battle lust, let me tell you that the strongest man who ever lived was uh, Samson, and he fell under the spirit of lust. If you think that you are too wise of a believer to fall under the power of lust, the wisest man who ever lived was King Solomon, and he fell under the power of lust. You think, well, I'm too spiritual. I've been in church my whole life. The most spiritual man who ever lived other than Jesus was King David, and King David fell under the spirit and under the power of lust. Matthew 5, 28 says, whoever looks at a woman in lust has committed adultery with her in his heart. I want you to see the first word of the scripture is whoever. Whoever. Everyone in this room is a whoever. Man and woman. If a woman looks at a woman in lust, it's adultery in her heart. If a man looks at a woman in lust, if a man looks at a man in lust, if a woman looks at a man in lust, it's all one big lust bucket and we're all battling the same thing in there together. Um, lust is something that attacks us based on what it is we look at and what it is we see. Um, there was a couple that, that came to me several years ago and um, they, they were battling, they were going to go through a divorce and things were upsetting and the husband was um, having extramarital affairs and the wife was pregnant, she was eight months pregnant and I was very young then, I'm young now and I, I didn't even know what to do then at all and they're coming to me saying, you know, we're going to do a divorce, we don't want a divorce, how do we work through this? And I talked to the husband, he said, I just can't help it, he said, I have this addiction, I'm addicted to, um, to sexual immorality outside of my marriage. I'm always going after that. I don't know why. I don't want to battle that. And he was very broken. He was crying his eyes out. He said, I've tried to stop. I can't stop. And so as I'm talking to them, I felt like God gave me this word of knowledge. And so I felt God was just whispering the word pornography to me. And so whispering. So I just said to him, I said, is there any pornography in the home? And the husband hung his head in shame. He said, yes, there is. I said, dude, get rid of the pornography. I said, it's just opening. Just You're sitting there looking at it all day long. It's opening your, 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 your imagination, and you're going to go after what it is you're constantly looking at. And he says, it's not me. It's my wife. 
I said, what do you mean? And the wife said, no, it's my pornography. I said, get rid of the stinking pornography. She said, I like the pornography. I'm not going to get rid of it. I said, I hope you enjoy a polygamous you know, relationship because your husband is going to continue to go after things that you're putting in front of him when you're opening the door to it. Get rid, do whatever it takes, burn it. Do whatever, do whatever it possibly takes. Get rid of the pornography. And the point I need you to see from this scripture is a very, very important scripture. Uh, two main things. One is this, is that in, in life, there are consequences, earthly consequences for things we do, even legal consequences for our actions. If you're speeding down the road, the policeman pulls you over, you get a ticket. If you're speeding down the road, God does not give you a ticket. You don't pay God for not wearing your seatbelt. There is a consequence, a spiritual consequence. So there's natural, there's legal, there's spiritual. According to this scripture, every person in this room, because God is a God of hearts, Every person in this room, whether you've been through a divorce, whether you actually acted on the adulterous or not uh, relationship, either way, every person in this room who has lusted after somebody else in God's eyes is an adulterer. Here's the second thing that's even more important than that, and that is this. Lust starts with looking. <clears throat> lust starts with looking. If you don't want to have your heart filled with lust, then you can't look at things you know you shouldn't look at. The scripture just said, whoever looks at a woman lust has committed adultery in his heart. Our heart is filled with what it is we put before our eyes. If you want to have a life of, uh, 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 of serving God, you've got to put serving God in front of your eyes. This is why it's so important to read the Word. This is why you are what you read. You are the books you read. You are the television shows you watch. The things that go, your eyes are the windows to your soul. Everything inside of your heart is coming in through your eyes. And I'm going to prove that to you for the next 20 minutes. In Genesis 3, 6, it says that um, Eve, when Eve saw that the tree was good, pleasant, and delightful to look at, she ate it. God said, Eve, you can eat from any tree in the garden except for this one. Any tree. Now imagine the type of fruit that God himself planted for them. And you can have any of it, just not this one. And it says when she saw that it was good. When she continued to stare at it and it got pleasant and delightful to look at it, then she ended up going after it and eating it. I have three L's. Look, lust, and lunge. You look at it long enough. That's how the lust gets in your heart, and you always act based on what's going on inside of your heart. And so then you end up lunging after it. Eve saw that it was good, delightful to look at, and she went after it. She went after it. Now here, here's what's interesting to me. It's almost like, and I'm not being sacrilegious, so don't be offended. It's almost like God said, Eve, you can sleep with anybody in the whole world, just not this one person. You know who she'd want to sleep with? The one person. Human nature always wants what we cannot have. You can eat from any tree you want, the whole garden. The whole, I mean, think of all the fruit and all the delicious, but I want the one I'm not supposed to have. And that's the one she went after. So I have some application for you that I hope you will, um, you will apply to your life or at least think about, and that is this. Look for the golden brick. Let me tell you what I started to do years and years ago. I can tell when there's someone around me or walking by or a picture of something that I would lust after. And lust is something that I battle just like any other man and, and many women as well. And so when I know that that's coming my way, when someone's wearing something that's way too revealing, when there's too much voluptuousness or whatever you want to, and that's a biblical word. I, I, I saw it in the Bible. Anyway, if the, if the temptation is on the right, then I pretend like there's a golden brick somewhere on the left. I'm walking down this imaginary road and there's brick walls everywhere. And somewhere in this brick wall, there is a golden brick. If the voluptuousness is on the right, then the golden brick is somewhere on the left. If the voluptuousness is on the left, the golden brick is somewhere on the right. And I just happen to just look over there until I find the golden brick. And I always find the golden brick after she has already walked by me. 
Now, for you, your voluptuousness may be the hot sign on the Krispy Kreme. You know, you're riding by and everything's fine until all of a sudden that hot sign comes on and you can feel the lust bucket starting in your stomach. If the hot sign's on the right, then the golden brick better be on the left. If the hot sign's on the left, the golden brick needs to be on the right. Look for the golden brick. Let me tell you how Satan works with us in this area. It's almost like a a frog that you put in a hot boiling pot of water. The frog will jump out immediately because it knows, man, that's dangerous. That's too hot. But if you take a frog and you put it in a bowl of water at room temperature, that frog will swim around like it's its home. But then every few minutes, you turn the degrees up just a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. After a few hours, it'll get to a boiling hot temperature and the frog won't even notice what's going on until all of a sudden it realized it has boiled to death. And that's exactly what God does not want Satan to do in our life. That's why it's very important that we do not look at things we know we shouldn't look at. Satan is very, very subtle. He says, just stare at it a little bit. It won't be any harm. Just keep looking at the hot sign. Just keep looking at that dress you know you shouldn't buy. Just keep looking at that car you know you can't afford. Just keep looking at that person you know you're not supposed to have in your life. Just keep on looking for a little bit. And I promise it's not going to do any harm at all when you look and you look and you look and you don't even realize after all the time Satan has been turning up the degrees more and more and more and more and then you realize you've boiled to death. Judges 14 verse 1, Samson who had supernatural strength from Almighty God still had a flesh just like you and me. Judges 14 1, it says Samson went to Timnah where a woman caught his, what's that word? What's the word? Samson came back and told his parents, I saw a woman, the first four words ever recorded in the Bible out of Samson's mouth happened to be in a nutshell his entire life. He looked, he lusted, and he lunged. He had to have her. His parents tried to warn him, but the lust had already filled up his heart. She ended up cheating on him with the best man at his wedding. And y'all think, listen, y'all know as the world turns or whatever soap operas y'all watch, they all get that stuff from the Bible. All them soap operas y'all watch, all comes from the Bible. Samson's best man cheated. His best man cheated with his woman he was going to marry. So, so Samson left her, and it says in Judges 16, 1, Samson went to Gaza and saw a loose woman, and then he went to her. Here's point number two. Don't look at loose people. Some of y'all are like, I can't look at my neighbor right now. I can't look at my neighbor. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) Just kidding. Listen, Samson's Samson's craving, his lust, if he hadn't looked, I don't think he would have battled it as strongly, but he kept on looking, kept on staring. And if you want to know what a loose person looks like, Proverbs 7 describes it in its entirety, um, the things that we, we should not look at when it comes to people that we lust after. But anyway, so Samson became easy prey. His enemies captured him. He he lost his anointing. His hair got cut off. And here's what's so amazing about this story. This is going to blow your mind. Judges 16, 21 says, The Philistines captured Samson and they poked out his eyes. Listen, the strongest man in the world, if I had captured the strongest man in the world, I would have cut off his arms. They poked out his eyes. Even his enemies knew this was his downfall. He'd never be able to accomplish anything. They knew, they knew that the eyes were the window to his soul. Now, here's something powerful. Watch. The very next scripture in verse 22 says, but the hair on his head began to grow one more time. Listen. The level that Samson was anointed with supernatural strength 
is the level that God has an anointing for your life in whatever area he's given you. Whether it's encouragement, bringing peace to situations, teaching, preaching, singing, maybe a certain kind of talent. Maybe that you're faithfulness and it's hard to find faithful people. That's a gift from God. But there's an anointing in your life. The anointing that Samson had came back after he was unable to look at the wrong things. The very, the very second that he was unable to fill his heart with lust, I want you to kind of picture your heart like a, a big pie, like it's a pie graft. And what you look at is it, it determines what's almost like what's in your heart. How much of it is God? How much of it is the right things? How much of it is funny things, happy stuff that brings you joy? How much of it is lust? And Samson's heart had been filled with this lust so strongly, he lost his anointing, he got captured by his enemies, but the very second that he could not look at that stuff anymore, the very second he could not get his heart Filled with lust like it used to be, his anointing came back and his hair came back and he became strong again. That's why it says in 2 Timothy 2, 22, flee from youthful lust. It doesn't say, um, stand strong because you're a man of God and you know the word and you, you, know, you teach or you preach or you pray for people. or you don't. So just stand firm when lust comes after you. No, this is the one negative thought pattern in the Bible. 2 Timothy 2, 20 says to get, flee from it, run why does it say run? Because none of us are powerful enough to allow lust in our hearts and not lunge after something we know we shouldn't have. None of us are powerful. And people that think they are, I want to slap them in Jesus' name. <laughs> Advertisers spend billions of dollars to influence the way we act based on what we see. Even the world knows this. We need to catch up with them. They spend billions and billions because they want to determine what you spend your money on, where you go, who you hang out with, what you desire. They do all that based on the commercials and the things you see with your eyes. It says in Luke eleven thirty four, the lamp of the body is the eye. If the eye is good, the whole body is filled with light. But if the eye is bad, the whole body is filled with darkness. Let me, let me say it to you this way. We don't have a lust problem. We have a looking problem. We don't have a lust problem. We have a looking problem. You, you, you say, my whole, my whole life is just filled with darkness. You don't have a darkness problem. You have a looking problem. Man, my, my whole life, I'm always buying things I shouldn't buy. You have a looking problem. You don't have a spending problem. You have a looking problem. You're putting the wrong things in front of your eyes. 80% of Christian men and 50% of Christian women have a sexually immoral addiction. So I said that to say this to you. Do not think you're in here all alone. One of the saddest lies that you could believe is that you're by yourself in this. That's a sad lie. You are not by yourself. Don't think, well, my, if my spouse only knew. If I, listen, everyone in this room is thinking that. Every single person in this room is thinking, I know I have a problem. I know I have something that I shouldn't be putting in front of my eyes that I'm putting in front of my eyes. Do not think you're by yourself. Do not. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, it says, Be not deceived. People who are sexually immoral, unfaithful in marriage, effeminate, that's when men act like women, Practice homosexuality, shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And this is a very tough scripture to swallow. So let me, just, let, me get, let me explain to you from a merciful heart of a loving God. He's saying that this is something that's a regular thing in your life that you are constantly after, day after day, week after week, year after year. He's saying, check your salvation. Just check to see if the polarity of your heart does want to please God, does want to honor God, does want to go after God. Or do you really in your life, you actually do want the things that you know you shouldn't have and you're going after it's one thing to battle, and it's another thing to say, I'm okay with this, and I'm just going to live this way and keep on going in that direction. Just check to see if salvation is something that you know is inside of your heart. Also, I want to say this to you too. 
the level to which you want mercy for your own lust problems is the level that I want you to show people who may lust for something that you don't lust after. For those of you that are very strong with, when it comes to your opinion on homosexuality, either way you're for it. All I'm saying is this, just show mercy. You don't know what it's like. You don't know what it's like to battle the, what the person next to you is battling. You may battle something totally different than they do, but just like you want mercy, please show them mercy. Just like you want God's forgiveness, please show them forgiveness. Please, please do not think that you are better than somebody else because your lust is in a different area than what the area that their lust is in. Henry Nouwen, he's, he was a famous professor of psychology at Harvard University. And Henry Nouwen went to St. Petersburg. I'll wait until they're seated and then we'll continue. It's okay? Don't we have chairs at the back that are folding chairs? Do we have any left? It's okay. No, come on, come on down here. That's good. What's up? What's up? You want to go to children's church? You want to go hang out at children's church? You want to stay here in the sermon? It's totally up to y'all. Children's church is way more fun, way more fun than this. Way more fun. You want to? They can take if you want to. Yeah, they're doing a lot of cool stuff in there. A lot of, you got to give me five, though, whenever you come by. Can I have five? Five. High five. Okay, five. Five. Bam. Okay, good. There we go. Just because of our topic, I didn't want to. You know, all right, y'all are, okay. Y'all catch me, right? Yeah. You're like, lust bucket sex, you know. It's like, ah! <laughs> Should have waited till they probably went out of there anyway. <laughs> Tell them to talk to their mama. Okay, so anyway. So Henry Nouwen was a famous psychologist at Harvard University. And one day, he went to St. Petersburg in Russia to the Hermitage Museum. And he was just walking by looking at the paintings. And one day he saw this painting that Rembrandt did on the prodigal son. And it caught his eye and he just stood there in awe. The true story says that he stood there and he looked at that painting for over three hours just staring at this painting of the prodigal son that Rembrandt did. It, was it, it changed his life. It changed his heart. He got saved that day and he went back to Harvard University and he resigned. He became a priest and he spent the rest of his life working with the mentally handicapped until the day that he died. He wrote a book, and the last book that he wrote in his final papers, he disclosed that he was a homosexual his entire life, but he never fulfilled that desire for the sake of Christ. It is incredibly, incredibly tough. It's incredibly tough to battle heterosexual lust, but sometimes we renounce our desires for the sake of what Christ wants in our life. And we just pray to God for sufficient grace. We all have a battle. Every single one of us. None of us are immune. It says in the Bible that Genesis 39, Joseph was a slave for Potiphar. Even though God's hand of protection was on him, God increased him, excelled him. It says in verse 6, though, that Joseph was attractive and handsome. And Potiphar's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph. There's the eyes again. And then she said, lie with me. Now she wasn't talking about telling fibs. She was like, we're going to, you know, she passed, she's like, forget the rose ceremony. Um, you know, I'm not going to look for the golden brick. I want to go ahead and jump in bed. And so here's, here's what my next point is. Don't look at handsome people. There's a certain type of person that you know when you look at. I don't know if it's a blonde. I don't know if whatever you decide, whatever, listen, don't stare at people that you know for a fact lust is going to enter your heart with. In Genesis 39 verse 9, it says, Joseph said, how could I do this great wickedness against God? Listen, Joseph called sexual morality a great wickedness. 
That's very, very important that he referred to it as a great wickedness. Whether homosexual, heterosexual, doesn't matter. This is what he referred to it as. She asked Joseph to lie with her day after day, but he refused to go near her. Man, this woman was like, she was like strong. And here's what Joseph did. He refused to go near her. It's an important point. He didn't say, I'm a man of God. I have God's favor in my life. God's always excelled me. He knew he could not get near someone because it had been a long time since Joseph had sex. If you study the Bible, you know that he was tempted and that's why because he knew he was tempted that he should not go near someone that he knew he wasn't supposed to have in his future in his life. And so in verse 12, he was working outside. She wasn't around, but she came up and sneaked behind him. She grabbed him by his coat and said, lie with me. But Joseph ran out of the house and fled, leaving his, that's how she sounded too. She was sexy. She said, lie with me. <laughs> leaving his coat behind. Okay, listen, here's a, here's a very important point. Stop laughing and listen. Ready? We have to be willing to leave our coat behind. In other words, we have to be willing to be inconvenienced for the sake of not giving in to something we knew we shouldn't give in to. If there's an ABC store on your way home from work and you lust after alcohol, be mature enough. Don't go that route. Go the long way. Man, the long way is an extra five or six miles. It's worth it not to stare at something you know you shouldn't stare at because it's going to get in your heart and you're going to lunge after it. It's worth it to, you can't say, well, I'm going to go to Krispy Kreme. I'm just going to use the bathroom. I just got to use the bathroom. You're going to run inside. You'll go in there. You'll walk out with one or two dozen glazed donuts whenever you leave don't go to the mall when you know you ain't got any money in the bank and you say i'm just going to window shop you know what window shop means i'm going to look i'm going to lust i'm going to lunge I, I knew this lady she um she knew she didn't have she had no money her husband was so mad she was spending money they didn't have using credit cards and she had an addiction to buying a new outfit every week she lusted after new clothes and always that so she was at the mall and she tried on a dress that was like 250 dollars and she knew she wasn't supposed to have it and so she was in that dressing room she just prayed said get thee behind me satan and she heard satan say i am behind you and the dress looks even better from the back I'm joking. That was a joke. Y'all need to, y'all calm down. Okay, listen. So there's this couple that came to me. I was good friends with them years ago. And, um, and the wife was upset because the husband had an addiction to pornography and it affected their sexual relationships and their marriage and stuff, as you can imagine. And so um, the husband would look at pornography on his computer in their closet where he did a lot of his work, literally in their closet. And um, he would work on his college stuff and things like that. And I said, well, I have the answer for you. I said, put the computer in the family room. And he said, no, no, it's too noisy. The kids, and there's always something going on. I said, it's one or the other. I mean, you're not strong. No, I'm strong enough. I'm strong enough. I'm, I can pray. And he prayed and prayed and prayed. Came back a month later, still addicted to pornography. I said, put the computer in the family room. I don't want to do I said, you've got to be willing to be inconvenienced for something because you're not, if you're stronger than Samson, smarter than Solomon, and more spiritual than David, then maybe we'll talk. But until that day comes, put the Sting computer in the family. And they, he did that. And to this day, I saw him just a few weeks ago, to this day, he thanked me for that. That was six, seven years ago. To this day, he has not looked at something he should not look at. You've got to be willing to leave your coat behind. Be willing to be inconvenienced. And listen, husbands, tell your wives this, this is something that you battle. And wives, don't be so crazy like you're shocked that your husband battles lust when that's what the whole world is filled with and everything we watch has to do with that. Don't be shocked. You struggle together. Don't fight. Don't fight against each other. Fight with each other. Fight with each other. Never, ever, ever condemn someone when they're honest with you or transparent with you about something that they battle. Matthew 26, 41 says, The spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. The flesh is not, it's not that we don't trust ourselves. We don't trust our flesh. Men have 40 times the testosterone as women do. 
and the only biblical source for a man's sexual needs to be fulfilled is with his wife. And something very beautiful that touches my heart is Genesis 2.18. The Lord said, it is not good for man to be alone, so I'll make him a helper. Here's what I want you to see. This is the most beautiful point of the day. Man was not alone. God himself was with him. The creator of heaven and earth, all that is seen and unseen, the galaxies, the moon, the stars, the planets, God was with Adam. They walked and they talked every single day. The God of the universe was in relationship with Adam and he said, you're alone. It's not good. I need to make you somebody. Adam said, no, I'm not alone. I have you. But yet God found something so beautiful about womankind and he put something in womankind that that would be the way to help fulfill the man's needs in a marriage. Something so beautiful that God himself was not able to meet in that relationship. 1 Corinthians 7, 5 says, so don't refuse sex to each other. Then Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Men rate sex as their number one or number two most important need. Women rate their need for sex as number 13. Gardening was number 12. (laughs) Here's what I'm saying. That was supposed to be a serious point. Anyway, here's what I'm saying. (laughs) Ladies, wives, if you don't meet your husband's sexual needs, he always wants and da-da-da-da-da. If you don't meet those needs, Satan will put 20 different options before his eyes before the day's over with. And if he falls, it is not your fault. You do not take responsibility for someone else's action. I'm just telling you, as a helpmate that God's created you to be, this is something you could do to help him very, very much. In uh, Matthew 4, Jesus was being tempted by Satan. Jesus had fasted for 40 days. No bread, no food, nothing like that. Do you know when Satan showed up, do you know the area that he tempted Jesus in? It was the area of food. The thing that he had not had for 40 days, the thing that he wanted so desperately, Satan always tempts us in the area of our greatest weakness. Know yourself, know your flesh, know who you are, get to know you, get to know what it is you battle, get to know the things that you need help overcoming. It is those areas that I promise Satan will always put something before you to try to steal your heart away from God. Um, The way that Eskimos used to kill wolves back in the old days, I'll kind of close with this, but um, they would take a very sharp knife, all right, 12-inch knife, and they would coat it with animal blood, and they'd let it get frozen like a popsicle. Then they'd coat it again, both sides, animal blood, get even more thicker, the blood. One third time, thicker, I mean, it's a, a knife with a thick, you couldn't even see the knife, it was so thick with, with animal blood. They would take the knife, and they would go find somewhere in the ground, and they would shove the handle of the knife all the way into the ground, and they'd leave. And the wolf, with its keen sense of smell, would go through the woods, and it would find, of all things, it would find that little 12-inch knife covered with blood, and it would begin to lick that blood. And it would lick that, that frozen popsicle, and, and the more he licked it, the more he liked it, and the faster he went, and he could not even tell the point at which his own blood was satisfying his insatiable thirst. And he would end up cutting himself so bad but being so excited in the moment that he would bleed to death. And the next day, the Eskimo would come and find the wolf dead on the ground. Hebrews eleven twenty five says that sin actually does bring pleasure, but for a season. Satan wants you to go after that popsicle then you, you get so excited, you think you got to have that dress, you got to buy that car, you got to have that person, and you don't even realize the point 
at which you're dying to that sin until all of a sudden you're completely dead and gone. Your life's flipped upside down. You don't even know how you got there. 2 Samuel 11, 2, and I'm done. It says, One evening David arose from a nap and he walked upon the palace roof. From there he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. Now, he wasn't looking at her face, just so in case y'all are thinking she had a beautiful face. He wasn't looking at that. He wasn't looking at her, her two eyes. He wasn't noticing the length of her hair. He was looking at something he knew he should not be staring at. My next, my last point is this. Don't look at naked people, just in case you didn't know it. Be sure to write that down. Put your bulletin in your window of your car so that whenever your restaurant, people can look and say, what were they studying? They don't look at naked people. Oh, I want to go to that church. I can't wait to get to that church. That sounds exciting. There's never a record throughout the history of David, and we read his whole life from birth to death, there's never a record of him ever battling lust until the day he saw Bathsheba. I often wonder if she was in a shower, would her name have been Shower Sheba? I always thought about that. Anyway, 2 Samuel eleven four, the lust got in his heart and David brought her to him and he lay with her. You know, one temptation always leads to another. It never ends where you think it's going to, it always goes to one more and then one more and then one more. David got her pregnant and she was married and he had her husband killed. But all of that heartache that David faced could have been avoided if he had simply been more diligent about the things that he put before his eyes. So, no matter how mature you think you are, you are not infallible. Always look for the golden brick. Be willing to be inconvenienced in life. And if you want to live a life of victory, you have to put victory before your eyes. Amen?